Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm Billy Munger. And hi, I'm Johnny Herbert. And welcome back to Lift the Lid, the podcast that takes you around the world of Formula One. And this uh, little episode, it's Team Radio. And all your questions that you've been sending in. So thanks for, for doing that. Yeah, thanks for all the questions, like Johnny said. And right, we'll dive straight into this week's set of questions. This first one's um, a bit of a mouthful, but do you want to have a crack at it, Johnny? Well, I'll have a little crack. Go on then, yeah. So, in 1993, Ayrton Senna delivered the lap of the gods from fourth on the grid to obviously win uh, that Donington race. So, Johnny was there, uh, and I was. I was there in 11th place. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on if this was the greatest lap ever in an F1 car and if Johnny had a different perspective uh, having been there. So that's from uh, Lee. And that's referring to the 1993 European Grand Prix at Donington. So, Johnny, question is, was it the best lap in Formula One? You know, uh, you were in driving in those conditions, experiencing that. Yeah, in a, in a, in a car that wasn't uh, as quick as the, the Williams because he was up against yeah. Alain Prost and, and Damon Hill. Um, and it, I think it's one of the best laps that I think we've we've ever seen. I don't think it'd be my favourite, weirdly enough. I'd probably have to go back to 1979 and Dijon with René Arnoux and Gilles Villeneuve. Yeah. Basically for the last couple of laps, banging wheels, going off the circuit. It was proper racing as as I see it. And I, and I loved it because of that, because these guys really took it to each other. But the one that Ayrton did in those tricky conditions at Donington, again, it's very, very special. Like his first win, that he did in Portugal in the Lotus uh, when he absolutely blew the field apart. In, I mean, it wasn't just raining, it was chucking it down. It was so, so wet on the circuit, but Ayrton dealt with it brilliantly. So personally, the lap that I thoroughly enjoy watching was, was with two cars, Renio Arnoux and Gilles Villeneuve, 1979. But I have to say it was a wow lap from, from Ayrton during that weekend, wasn't it, Billy? Yeah, there's definitely something special about watching someone on the limit in a Formula One car in tricky wet weather conditions. You know, when yeah. you're in the dry, it's you, you know, it's obviously the cars are going faster, but you feel like there's less jeopardy of, uh, you know, something going wrong. Mm. When, it, when it's in the wet and you've got to drive offline, you've got to find the grip, you know, you've got all the spray to deal with and, the you know, you one little mistake and you're, you're sailing off the road into the gravel trap. That's for me watching is like where Formula One comes alive a bit because you know 
yeah having driven these cars how challenging it is so when you're seeing i remember for example watching max verstappen uh back in i think it was 2016 or 20 yeah 2016 it was in uh brazil with yep. uh, lewis hamilton and nico rosberg i think at the time they were in the um the mercedes cars um and it was chucking it down with rain and he was just flying past the um drivers he got around nico rosberg offline there's moments like that for me which stand out for you know i'm not saying that's the best lap i've ever seen uh-huh. but i'm saying I do appreciate watching some some highly skilled wet weather driving and someone pushing the boundaries in those conditions. I always think that's one of the hardest things to do as a racing driver. Yeah, uh, and the other one that always comes to my mind, I think it was I think it's nineteen ninety six, uh, the Spanish Grand Prix. Absolutely, again, throwing it down. Michael Schumacher in a in a Ferrari that wasn't as competitive as the Williams by a long a long shot. But my, 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 he drove the wheels off of that car that day. And again, in very, very tricky conditions. It wasn't one lap, but it was spectacular what he what he did in the car. I suppose the other one that comes to mind very briefly is that on board with the, with the Ayrton and Monaco. Yeah. That, again, Jess is, I still thoroughly, my jaw drops to the floor because it just looks awesome. I know it's very grainy, but that, I think that adds to it. To be it adds to it. It adds 100%. But, you know, Ayrton had a special way of being able to wrestle the car if it was a one lap in qualifying and then wrestle the car and outfox everybody like he did in Donington in 93. So, yeah, it, it was a wow lap um, and it will live on to being be a wow lap. And it was one of the greatest one laps we've seen in a, in a race itself. So, yeah, so I think that was a good, good question uh, from Lee. Good question indeed. Uh, our next question is from Ollie. And the question's phrased, how have you found your experience working with the BRDC during your racing career? Um, so I think it's probably important yeah. that we say we don't really work for the BRDC. You know, the British BRDC, for people that don't know, it's, called, it's the British Racing Drivers Club. And it's more of just, you know, an honour and a privilege to be a part of that that club, you know, meeting, you know, like-minded individuals, you know, famous racing drivers, you know, people from all walks of life within motorsport yeah. so yeah, yeah it's more of just a club that we're lucky to be a part of isn't it mate yeah we are and of course i you know i remember it looking back at the races with sterling moss um in the sort of the what the early 50s probably when it was mid 50s when he was sort of racing in the early days uh mike Hawthorne, the same mm-hmm. and the drivers always wore uh the brdc badge back in those days and you know even to this day there are still still people that uh, that still wear the badge i know martin brandon for example is very proud of that brdc badge um, and i think we all are to be honest because it's you know the history of of the brdc itself it's got a lovely uh, clubhouse for the drivers that that are there but the, the nice thing is it's not you think it's sort of the drivers but it's not it's like you said billy it's mechanics it's p it's mechanics from this era but it's mechanics from probably three or four decades ago that are sort of still with us. And, you know, we always see them there during a Grand Prix weekend. But actually, MotoGP, it's always full up. And it's always full up with a a lot of good people, with a lot of good stories of their time in in motorsport. So we're very lucky, very lucky, actually, to to be part of it. And I think drivers that sort of come into the club not British drivers, but Sebastian Vettel's of the world, for example. They 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 really they really grasp 
I think what the BRDC is all about, and I think we're very lucky that we we have a club that is that, that works very very hard to to promote the sport. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm really looking forward to the British Grand Prix this year, staying in the campsite at the BRDC at the farm. So yes, you know my family kind of come down to that one. So that's going to make that weekend even more enjoyable. The fact that you know we've got access to stay on the circuit. Yeah. Um, in the you know like you say you get the barbecues out in the evenings lots of you know people you know you know so you get to have a nice chat you know a bit of a debrief about what's going on talk all things racing hear all these great stories that for me adds a lot to the british grand prix weekend yeah it does and that's by its farm so it's sort of right in the it's sort of in the middle as you come into the circuit on the right hand side and it's and it's a lovely little spot that the the, the drivers have the modern drivers with the, with all their motor homes that they bring in but it's all the rest of the the members that are there parked outside of that little area where the F1 drivers are. And, it, and it's got a nice buzz about it. A lot of fans are hanging outside the um, the entrance as well, hoping to sort of, you know, get a sight of their, their, their man they're supporting over the weekend. But it's just great. It's a, it's a great vibe. I think the Silverstone Grand Prix itself is a, is a great event itself. But the BRDC do a cracking job. Yeah, they do indeed. Next question here is from Simon, and it says, Hi, both. Love the podcast. What do you think about all drivers on the grid scoring points? Do you think it would encourage more overtakes if they had something to fight for? And like, like I said, that's from Simon. So mm. an interesting one, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, I can see it working one of two ways, really. It could go either way, in my opinion. You know, obviously, if there's points... If you get one point for 20th and two for 19th, then like you say, you might have an incentive to, you know, to not retire the car and, you know, you know, at the end of the race, if you know you're really? not going to score points. Really? Is that what you would do, Billy? <laughs> Is that what you would do? That's what all the drivers do and the teams. They look after their mileage and all these components they've got well, nowadays, the last in the whole year. Point. You know, they, they park it up sometimes before the end of a race, but if there's points on the table still yeah. to be had. It might encourage them not to do so. Yeah, well, I think it would. That's a good point. Never thought of it that way. Yes, that could that could be a good idea. I'm. It's really funny. I look at it in another way sometimes, because uh, when I was racing back in the 1800s, it was only points down to sixth. So when you got finished sixth, actually, it was like like a, a win. It meant something. It meant a massive amount because it was damn hard to get to that sixth place. Because nowadays, getting in the top ten, you know, for you know, some of the lower teams is a challenge. You know, your Alfataris, yeah. your Hasses, when they get a top 10, it does feel like it's super rewarding, like they've had a mega weekend and everyone's there celebrating. So I do get what you mean of if you made it points for the whole grid, would that take away from that, you know, that factor of, you know, how hard people have had to work to achieve that great result? Yeah, I th- again, that's why I think it was the challenge of trying to get to sixth when it was, it was in my day. It was really satisfying when it, when it happened. It was frustrating if you were just out in seventh. But of course, yeah. nowadays, seventh is actually quite good. Yeah, seventh <laughs> is a good chunk of points. It? It's completely a different mentality. Even, you know, getting ninth or tenth is seen as a as a big deal. But it's it was different back in my day. If you were tenth, well, actually, you'd had a bad weekend. That wasn't a, a good result at the end of the day. But given everybody point... It's a weird one, isn't it? Like you say... Yeah. I'd prefer it to be restricted. Yeah. Then it's more of a challenge. And actually, it's much more... As a driver, it's much more satisfying when actually you do achieve 
those points because you can always go home finishing last, but you still get a point. And it's not like, you know, it's not like we don't see any teams never getting a point across the season like, you know, right. it used to be the case a few years back. Yes. You know, there used to be a few teams on the grid that, you know, would turn up and would have zero percent chance of getting points, you felt like. Well, now you feel like, you know, a Williams can sneak into the points if it has a strong weekend. The Alpha Tauri last time out in Barcelona with Yuki, yeah. you know, should have been in the points, you know, and then ninth in the constructors out of 10 teams. So I do feel like 10 is a big enough, you know, it mm. gives a few positions up for grabs where if you have a strong weekend, you can you can make it count and you can actually get in the points. Yeah, because MotoGP, I don't know about superbikes, but I know MotoGP, it's, is it 15 or 16 they get points down? Top, like yeah, that? I'm not too sure, but I feel yeah. like that's, yeah, top 15, top like yeah, that. 16, yeah. around that. So, well, that, do you think maybe top 12 would top 12 be? Uh, 10 just it seems like a clean number, doesn't it? You know, yeah. it keeps it. Keeps it simple. Half the grid get points, half the grid don't. Yeah, if we get some new teams coming in, Billy, which my, yeah. my fingers are very crossed, then maybe that could be a thought of maybe moving yeah, it. Yeah, if it went up to a grid at 24, maybe make it 12, maybe yeah. make it the top 12 that get points. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure in the past, actually, it's been, it has been thought about, and I think that's why it went to the 10, just to make it slightly different and actually give the teams who never, ever had a chance of getting any points when it was... The, the top six actually finishing the season with something on the board. Yeah. Uh, next one now, and this is from Chris. Uh, when will Aston Martin drop Lance Stroll? I know he is family, but they could have two cars up front every race with a better driver than Lance. Very harsh. Harsh that one, yeah, considering, you know, the weekend Lance has come off the back of. I, I mean, I, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because... You know, I feel like Fernando this season has really, you know, got the maximum out of that car. And obviously Lance hasn't quite managed to get the no. same performances out of it as Fernando. But equally, you know, it's kind of maybe, you know, it doesn't feel like a straightforward answer where you would chuck another driver in it and they would instantly match a Fernando. No. You know, Fernando is just exceptional. So for me, there's only probably like, four or five other drivers on the grid that I think could jump in the other Aston Martin and could do similar things to what Fernando's doing. Yeah, and and, and again, you could look at it in, in a very similar way with, with Sergio and some of the drivers that Red Bull have out, had it up against Max. You know, Max is just so, so strong. And Sergio, as we said before, can be as quick as, as, quick as Max. But we haven't seen that for about three races. Yeah. <laughs> So does that mean actually Red Bull have got to change their driver as well because Sergio's not as good as Max? Well, there's always, always going to be one driver better than any anybody else on the grid. Always. Um, and at this present time, it's Max. And for Sergio, it's damn tough. Damn tough. Is Sergio lousy as a driver? No, he's not. Is he a quick driver? Yes, he is. Is he quick enough? Well, not, not consistently enough. No. And last... Yeah. You know, he's he's got a pole position, he's he's led races, um, he's got points in a car that probably wasn't really in that situation of getting them when he was in the Williams, for example, uh, in Baku. Does he deserve to be there? Well, personally, yes, because I think he's earned it. You know, you don't want win the European Formula 3 Championship just because your dad is a wealthy man and can give you the best car. You've still got to be able to drive that possibly best car and win right win a win a win a race and win win a championship and he did that. I mean I can understand I can understand the question if 
Aston Martin were fighting for the Constructors mm. Championship and the difference maker was Fernando's winning Grand Prix and Lance's finishing ninth or 10th. But at the minute, that's not the case. I don't feel like the job Lance is doing is going to put them in jeopardy of finishing sixth in the Constructors Championship where it, as another driver jumped in and they'd be second or third. It's yeah. not... The, the gap we're talking about here isn't, you know, night and day. It's a few tenths of a second, realistically, that Fernando's got over Lance. I think Lance is probably aware of the fact that, you know, he needs more weekends like he's just had in Barcelona. He needs more, you know, more weekends yes. where he actually, you know, has the upper hand of Fernando or is like as evenly matched, like finishing one place behind Fernando. If he finished one place behind Fernando at every Grand Prix, there'd be no chance that anyone would be saying, oh, he needs to he needs to get booted out and someone else needs to go in there because a lot of people respect what Fernando Alonso does highly and think he's one of the best on the grid. Yeah, and it's a difficult one for, for Lance because obviously he's he's got that pressure of being the son of a of a billionaire billionaire who owns the team and he's only in the team because of his dad and everything else. So there yeah. may be some truth in that. Okay, but as I said, he has earned that. But he has to earn the position that he's got at the present time with what you've just said, because he's got to be closer to Fernando Alonso because he's in his latter years. He's still driving unbelievably well at, at the present time. Yet Lance is sort of that youngster that is hopefully eager to to push his teammate. Um, yeah. He's got to show that because if he doesn't show that, you're always going to have it. And it doesn't matter if you're Lance Stroll or you're Sergio Perez or whoever it may be, as we've seen with Pierre Gasly when he was up against Max Verstappen as well. We talk, we've talked positively about Pierre Gasly now. At that, that particular yeah. time, that season that he had, it was an awful season for him. He was getting lapsed, wasn't he, by his teammate, you know. Alonso's not lapsed Lance yet. No, 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 no. So does that does that mean that well actually we shouldn't Pierre shouldn't be in an F one car because of that season that he had yeah. against Max Verstappen again? No. Because we know how good he is. He's won races in the Alpha Tower, as we know, uh, which was fantastic. And he's given Ocon a good run for his money, you know, like for qualifying ahead of him this weekend in Barcelona, for example, you know. Yeah, I, I agree, mate. I think at the minute Lance Stroll is deserving of that seat. If they become a team that is fighting for Grand Prix victories on a regular basis with one car, he's got to and Lance it is, Then Lance has got to be, you know, in contention for podiums as well. He can't, he can't be finishing sixth and seventh if Fernando's winning no. most Grand Prix. That's where the, the difference maker comes into it from from my point of view. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that is something that will come into play at some point, and all drivers go through that. And yeah. you know, Lance is, you know, he's obviously gonna have a, a very similar situation at that time. I think he can do it, but it's how consistent he, I think he, he does it. And that's always the difficult thing because the very, very best are able to do it, as we've discussed, um, every single time. And his teammate does it pretty much every single time, except in Barcelona. Except <laughs> at his home race in Barcelona. <laughs> uh next question from Stephen. What was Murray Walker like? Well, I never had the honour of meeting Murray Walker, so this is in yeah. The, yeah this is all for you, mate. I, I heard his voice and his commentary and loved it. What was he like as a person? What what was Murray Walker like? I think the most passionate man about motorsport I think I've ever met. Not just motorsport as in Formula One, but motorsport in rallycross, in motorbikes, um, and just the whole sphere of what you know motorsport is all about. The voice that he had always worked. 
recognizable recognizable exactly his the excitement that he drew you into the screen was infectious yeah um, outside of of the of the little tv booth that he that he used to work in it was infectious as well great sense of humor very passionate about wanting to be talking about motorsport with the drivers not just british drivers but all drivers really respect of everybody as well because of what and how long he'd been involved with with motorsport itself and especially in formula one of course he's he's i suppose he's for me his most famous sort of era for for my time is obviously when he was with james hunt yeah sort of commentating that was a good little duo act that was a good little duo yeah yeah james was quite harsh on on murray every now and again but because he made a few errors and i think he's been famous for those sort of errors that he made but it, yeah. you have to you have to realize when he was at this i remember a crashing out in spa um and actually walking back and they dragged me in because james hadn't turned up in the morning which he did sort of fairly often don't know where he was but he <laughs> turned up at all you can have a good guess you, yeah you have a very good guess and it was absolutely throwing it down me rain and i went in with murray and I sort of finish off the race um, with him. So that was 1989, I think he was, if I remember correctly. Anyway, so it was, and it was tiny. If you can sort of visualize a very, very small toilet, well, it was about the size of about three by three, maybe four by four. Let's do four by four. Tiny thing. He had a, one screen, two screens, one with the timing and one with the, with the sort of the, 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 car, the cars on the track. And while he's trying to commentate, of course, he's looking at the screen with the cars on the track. He's also looking at the screen with the timing of seeing where everybody is. And of course, when he goes to the, and this is just where he was around lucky sometimes, he was looking at the timing screen and something had happened. There'd be a big crash that was on the, on the, on the racetrack and he missed it. And he missed it because he was trying to get all the information that he possibly could to actually then uh, be able to commentate. But a wonderful man. Really, really nice. I remember my last Grand Prix I did in in Malaysia. We, we got a few drivers who came in and sort of and spoke about the memories of me. And Murray sort of hosted that that event, which was really nice as well. But even when I stopped racing, it, you know, it was something that he was engaging. So, so engaging. But just a lovely, lovely, lovely man. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to hear you talk about a commentary box and what it was like, you know, back in Murray Walker's day. Because, yeah. you know, Basic. having done done some commentary this weekend out in Barcelona for the F2 and the F3 and done a little bit for Formula 1 in the last few years. There's honestly about, feels like there's like between 10 to 15 screens in a commentary yeah. box now. So to hear it just be as simple as a timing screen and, you know, some images, it sounds simple, but it, it, it's just changed a lot. So, yeah, I, I, can Im- I can't yeah. imagine what that was that was like. But, yeah, super fascinating to yeah, hear yeah. you talk about Murray Walker, you know, absolute legend in motorsport. One question for you. Go on. Do you sit down or do you stand up when you come down? I do a mixture of both. Yeah. I feel like the first few laps, I have to be stood up, like, you know, to feel the energy of, of a race. And then, to be fair, when you settle into a race, it's, you know, things settle down and you're looking at screens and I'm more comfortable doing that sort of sat down. I can, you know, be quicker to dart my eyes from monitor to monitor but yeah the first few laps i'm always on my feet murray never sat down yeah i can imagine that man at the end was absolutely knackered well well, of course he'd been up all day walking around the paddock and everything else i I don't think i'd ever seen him sitting sitting down anywhere because he was always it was always sort of 
I can imagine him bouncing. Yeah. I can't imagine him even standing. It was like a, a you know excited bounce around the commentary box. Total. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but he was doing that in the paddock as well. That, that <laughs> lovely thing about him because he was just so in the moment of that sort of weekend weekend moment that it just made it that much more special. So I do remember. Yeah, there was never a chair in that in that uh, in that little TV booth. But uh, yeah, nice memories. Nice. Lovely man. Super memories. Um, we're going to take a short break now and we'll be back afterwards to answer more of your questions with the first one being around the Mercedes new concept. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to the podcast. Next question we've got, Johnny, is from Darren, and it's around the Mercedes old design concept. So it's the question is, why did Mercedes start the year with the old design concept when the new one already looks so much quicker? That's from Darren. So I'm going to say hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? You know, it's easy to, you know, say that, oh, the new ones looks so much quicker already. But I'm sure at the time Mercedes had their reasons for going with the old concept, didn't they? Well, I I think the old concept, obviously, what we saw last year, didn't work. Yeah, did not work. Well, that was plain to see. And I and I I feel that I think the the uh, the men and women who were working on on that on that uh, particular concept believed they could sort it. And I think, you think they... it was maybe a little bit of an, an ego thing because Mercedes as a team has been so successful the last few years, you think they thought, no, what we do is the best way of doing things and we will make this work. Yeah, I think there is, there's an element of that hum, human element coming into play is where we're going to prove this is going to work. Yeah. It was. Pr- it probably is and it probably is proving to be the case that it was the wrong, the wrong mentality to have because I think there was talk wasn't there sort of I don't know mid-season-ish about scrapping the whole thing and starting all over again which was probably the right thing to do but I think that there were there were certain people who believed that they could actually sort it out it was the right thing to do and if we get it to work it will be much quicker than the Red Bull which I think has just proven to be not not the case and it was a better a better Spanish race, the best the best we've seen uh, so far this season, but, but with the concept that sort of carried on from last year to what we had before Barcelona, wasn't very old before Monaco, wasn't very good either, was it? It wasn't really an improvement, it didn't seem. And if it was an improvement, 
it was it was not seen because everybody else had made better improvements and Aston Martin being being one of those. So I think it was the wrong decision personally to make. I know Martin Brambo had mentioned it as well. It was that it should have been scrapped and started all over again. Now they've changed it. We're going to have to wait and see if they can actually make it work. You know, one race doesn't mean that the concept's done and dusted, is it, uh, does it? Not, not by a long way. And we saw that in Monaco. We, you know, the Esteban Ocon. We saw even uh, the Aston Martin looking really red hot, and it didn't wasn't red hot in the, in Barcelona at all. So we're going to have to wait and see how it how it pans out because we all know and we're all very aware that the other teams are going to be working just as hard as Mercedes to improve what they've got already. And Red Bull will be doing the same. Yeah, there might well be a new concept that pops up from one of the other teams where everyone goes, why are we doing this? That's clearly the way to go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'd be interesting. They've still got a lot to prove themselves to understand exactly what they need to do for, for this season, but more importantly for next season, start afresh and actually start winning the winning the first race. That's what, Mercedes, what Ferrari want to do, it's what Aston Martin want to, want to be doing, and of course Alpine as well. And then you throw in, well, Red Bull. They're always the ones you're you're trying to beat. Yeah. Okay, so I've got one here from Jill. Uh, what sports are you guys into outside of F1? Outside of F1 sports. Is this from a sports we participate in, or is this just something we watch? Bit of both. Yeah, bit, bit of both. both. Bit of both. Okay, I mean... Started playing a bit of golf recently, so I guess you could say, you? Uh, you know, yeah, I've started playing a little bit of golf. Nothing crazy, but, you know, I guess that's a sport that you could say I'm now into. Now that, I've got to see, because I would imagine with, with whenever I watch the pros do it, there's a lot of movement, isn't there, in the flexation of their little legs. Yeah, my little you legs don't flex so much. <laughs> They're rock it's gonna solid. It's going to be an interesting concept adapting to, uh, to that game. Cool. Yeah. How's it going? Not great. <laughs> right, well, I'm still adapted. <laughs> What's your weakness at the moment? Is there a weakness at the moment? Hitting the ball straight. <laughs> That's quite important. Yeah, I, I'm one of those guys that at the minute, if the hole's you know straight ahead of me, I'm aiming it about 20, 30 degrees to the left. Wow. And then when I hit the ball, it arcs its way back. Nice, to... A good old proper slice. Yeah, thing. good old slice. Oh, I love a good slice. So, what about um... the green? What about on the green? Is that is that better? The short game's all right. The short game's all right. You know, that's I'll, really the hard bit. My, my puttings are I, my puttings. It's hit and miss though. I, I, I say my puttings all right. One day I'll absolutely have a blinder. The next day I'll be on the green, ready to tap it in for par and miss about three shots, and then double bogey the hole. And at that point, I usually uh, want to throw my club <laughs> yes. out of the back of the buggy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very similar. Haven't played golf in about two or three years. I think I'm going to play golf in August. I think that's my next round of golf that I'll be playing in. So, cool, you've planned that one in advance. I'm normally yeah, the, yeah, it's someone the day who's a, before. Yeah, yeah Paul Stott, you know, used to race against in Formula Three, sort of organised a team with Martin Donnelly. Actually, I think Martin Donnelly's in my team. So, Ooh, another one. Need to get some practice in, mate. Well, there's me with my dodgy legs. Yeah, him with his dodgy legs. He's not going to be the strongest team on earth. <laughs> but that's a shot. And he hasn't. He hasn't played for. I think he told me last night, twelve years or something or other. Okay, all right. So, so you won't yeah, be. So, uh, you won't yeah. be the rusty one there. 
Uh, yeah, we are going to be rubbish, I have to say. So anyway, <laughs> it's not the winning, it's the taking part. Yeah. It's the important thing. Um, Ex-Formula 1 driver, Johnny Herbert there. Yeah, exactly. Any other sports? Not really. I like I I, I, I like watching golf. Uh, I have been watching a little bit of the French Open uh, with the tennis. Yeah, I like a bit of tennis. Uh, yeah, I like a bit of tennis. As far as what I I do actively is, is karting. Back to Carlton again. Carlton. So I'm back to Carlton. I was at Rissington Cart uh, Club on Saturday, and Rissington's quite a high speed uh, circuit. There's a lot of sort of fast right handers. It's mainly mainly right handers, it seems. Like a Barcelona. It, it yes, it battered me. Did you... <laughs> your neck hanging off or your ribs it was, in it pieces? Was all, no, it was like I was about to plop out the side of the seat. I couldn't, <laughs> my core was just so weak, and it got to the. And this is where it's frustrating. It got to this point, Billy. I could only do one hop, one slow. No, <laughs> oh, I was awful. Absolutely, I'm embarrassed actually to say it. One hot, one cool. I've never seen a cool lap in a go kart before, mate. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You need to definitely have a lap after lap after lap to get the best out of the car. So at the present time, uh, for a man who's getting very close to the older 6 0, I need to work out a little bit more. I need a pace. I'm not bad, but physically terrible, terrible. So I think I'm at Shennington. I think that's my next. Next one. That's a little bit easier on the body. Yeah, but, Shellington's not so bad. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Other than that, no, I don't do anything else. Okay. No, not really. Cutting grass. Normal Cutting stuff. Grass. World Lawnmower Championships. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So, yes, that's what we do outside. Okay. We've got another question here from David. Does Nico Rosberg just say things for effect? <laughs> Well, I think David believe he does. Yeah, I feel like that's a loaded question from David. I feel like he's, uh, you know, steering us in the suggestion that Nico Rosberg just says things for the fun of it. You've worked with Nico on, you yeah. know, on your Sky coverage. What, yeah. What... Well, he, well, he likes to be controversial. He likes, Contro- to, be controversial. He likes to be controversial. Definitely likes to be controversial. Now, if that's what you're alluding to, David, then yes. <laughs> He's he's a he's a very very intelligent man. I think mean, he's sort of, he's he's I think he speaks about seven or seven or so languages. Yeah. So he's a right smart old cookie, and that was why actually he achieved what he did by winning that world championship because he he did the mental game, but he was also the way he could analyze the data and then actually apply it to his driving on the, on the track. He did it probably, but he was one of, one of the best at being able to do that. But yeah, he does have he does have a certain way. English is not his first language, but he speaks it very, very well. He doesn't want to give them the plain Jane answers. He wants to no. give something a little different. Yeah, there you go. I think that's exactly what he what he what he does and works on very well. So yeah, well, if you like him, David, I'm not sure from that question that you asked. Uh, I would say you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't doesn't feel like it. He's not but, everybody's. You know. He's not everybody's cup of tea. No one is. No, no one is indeed. Right, we've got another question here from Sam. Is F1 at risk of being boring? We're doing an F1 podcast, Johnny. <laughs> and we're getting asked questions that is F1 at risk of being boring? We're in the boot bubble. Everyone we're in the boot bubble. bubble. Yeah. Formula One's hot. Yeah. It's a hot topic Boom. right now. Booming. Yeah, exactly. Um, again, you when, it, when, it's, when it's asked like that, is F1 at risk of being boring? Every now and again, and I'm not a total fan of it, and I do watch it. And sometimes I'm bored out of my skin. Football, 
football, yeah. It, it, not every single match is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, you make a good point there. No, yeah. there's not you get always... plenty of nil-nil draws where yeah. you're like, and I've watched some... 90 minutes of this and nothing's gone on. And there's not a super volley that happens in every single game either. You know, mm-hmm. you have the same thing where, the, you know, you have good games, you have bad games. Um, and Formula One probably over the decades has had a very similar similar journey, I suppose, on that front. We've got, I think the the concept we've got, if we just do the concept we've got with the with the ground effect, I think is, is going to be better for Formula One. Yeah. As far as how you stop someone like Red Bull and Adrian Newey and his team, from dominating is a very hard thing. Now, your purist would say we keep it as it is, and it's down to the best, the best minds to be able to come out with the best car, and that's exactly what we're seeing with the Red Bull at the present time, and have seen with the Mercedes over the last couple of years, as we have seen with with Red Bull and Williams and McLaren and Ferrari, and the list goes on. Of you know, there's always been domination, always has been domination. So then you go, okay, right, so we don't want to make it boring. What do we do? Well, we make them all the same. We make them F2s, painted all up with F1 colours, put the F1 drivers in it, and it's a one-make series. The the, the core fan will go, it'd be up in arms if that was to if that was to happen. Would it make the racing better? Probably, to be yeah. honest. Yes. But is that what... F1 is all about, is that what the teams want? The teams definitely don't want it. They don't want no. it to happen that way. No, of course they don't, because when a Ferrari wins in the current way Formula 1's run, it's because Ferrari have been innovative and they've come yes. up with a design that only Ferrari could come up with that's you know made the quickest car. And it means that, realistically, they're going to sell more road cars as a result of them being you know, such an innovative brand. So that's what, for me, Formula One's all about. It's about technology. It's about, you know, innovation. It's about being the best in the world. And then that translates across to the road cars that people buy. I would disagree with you on that one, uh, Billy, uh, Ferrari, uh, because then in recent times, I haven't been very successful, but it doesn't seem to have hurt the sale of their road cars. Yeah, all right, there is that. <laughs> but even when they won, I don't think it really made any difference because Ferrari, for whatever reason, is unique. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they have an absolutely, like this year, ridiculously bad car. Does it actually affect their road car sales? No. Weird. But then again, do you think yeah. if they didn't do Formula One that, you know, back when Formula One started, if they had, if they were a brand that had never been in a Formula One race, I think they they would, you know, have sold a fraction of the cars that they have because of being involved in Formula One and having success over the years. Yeah, I, I, I think there's an element to it, but I think it just proves it doesn't always mean by winning you're just going to sort of sell thousands and thousands of cars because it's more, I think, the effort of trying to win, yes. isn't it? Sure, exactly. And it is tough. And it's always going to be tough. Should it be tough? Yes, it should be. Problem is, when it's tough, there's always going to be someone who's going to be ahead of the game. Yeah. And that's where I go back to the minds of someone like Adrian Newey and and the team that he has around him. He's always ahead of the ball. He's always ahead of the pack. And it's then down to the teams. And I always do like it sometimes. Is always where... You get whoever's dominating at the time. They always say, well, it's not our fault. It's down to the other teams. <laughs> and, yeah. But each one who's always in front is the only one who ever comments on that one, where yeah. everyone is trying to slow them down and restrict them from being so dominant. Yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> as, you, as you always get. But I think we've still got to give it up. Remember, it's still running sort of halfway through the season. 
as far as with with these new ground effect cars anyway so let's see how that develops i suppose over the next couple of years because i think the core of what we've got and we see that behind the red bulls with everybody else is a bit of a mix and match and it's closer and the mid-pack, there's a bit more of a battle going on. So it has, I think it's improved it, improved it a certain a certain degree. But now it's just sort of seeing if we can get everybody on the same on the same speed, I suppose, on the race track. But if I look back historically, that would that would never happen. And yeah. even if you made them one make, you'd still never you'd still have someone dominating because there's always going to be the best team. Yeah. Pre- in the cars the best way and they've got the best drivers as well i would worry for ferrari if it became a one-make series johnny i'm not gonna <laughs> lie because strategy's not not been their uh strong point i feel like if that would be a more relevant factor in, in a grand prix if you were all in the same machinery choosing the right lap to pit the right tires to go on to i feel like ferrari could be in trouble with that one yeah but they could all be red cars but actually just painted not red <laughs> <laughs> You do it that way. There's your one, yeah. one series. One makes series. They're all red Ferrari. Yeah, Ferrari. Well, they'd never lose, would they? They'd never, they'd never lose. lose. <laughs> right. Last right, question, question, mate. Last question. That was a good one, though. I'm glad. I'm glad that we we managed to turn that one around. So everyone. I, I not... don't know if we did. I confused <laughs> myself. I don't know where we went. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, this is from Greg. Uh, which team is the best business? Maybe not the best racing team. Okay, so that's a a good one. The best business. So out of all the teams, which ones run to be the most profitable, would you say? It's tricky, isn't it? Because you think your big teams like your Red Bulls, your Mercedes, your Ferraris, they pour, or they used to pour so much money into Formula One. Obviously, now the budget caps come into play. You know, that's kind of limited, that side of things. Yeah. But equally, the driver's salaries aren't included in the budget cap. So you'd probably say the bigger teams are paying bigger salaries for their drivers. So they're probably not, maybe not as profitable. Mm, profitable. Yeah. I mean, Williams is, has been a family-run team for years and years. So, you know, that quite simply doesn't happen if, you know, they can't at least, you know, stay above above water. You know, they haven't got the the fact of having a car company behind them no no exactly but then you could say the same about red bull you know it's a it's a, it's a drinks company it's got mm. no affiliation as such you know with with the car world it never had it, it was it was only that it sponsored crazy motorbike events and then extreme sports and formula one as well nascar that i mean nascar as well but in indycar i think they did mm-hmm. so they, they're, they're quite varied with what they do now if you do it from a from a business perspective, I suppose you'd have to say Red Bull have used Formula One in a very, very positive way. Yeah, I agree with that. I think of them when they came into the sport and, you know, now how established they are in amongst all these huge car companies. Yeah, and Red lead- Bull their leaders. are leading them, yeah. So, yeah, I think, yeah, you're probably not too far wrong with that one, mate. Red Bull, uh, you know, from a business point of view, are huge and they do lots of different things, but they still do most of them at the highest level when they do that in Formula One. Yeah, and I, and I think the other thing I, I would say, I always remember back when I sort of my early days and probably more so in the late 60s and 70s with Cosworth, when Ford sort of came in with that full Cosworth, and that made a massive difference to Formula One, um, the technology that it that it brought. 
but Ford, it always came to me that Ford never used it to the advantage that they had. You know, they dominated Formula One for many, 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 many years. But it was never, there was like never a sticker on a car. I know Renault actually, I think they still do. There's still stickers of the World Championship that they've won. Is there? I'm not sure if they're still there, but they used to be. And it was the only one that I remember that did that. And in recent times, this is me. I always thought a Mercedes, when I was sort of, I don't know, in my mid-20s, I suppose, on a start Formula One, a Mercedes, I don't know what it was for you, but it was almost, it was my granddad's car. It was an old man's car for me too. It, that's what it yeah. felt like. And even for you, so you're a slightly different generation than me. So it was a granddad's car, but through F1. It's definitely, they're so popular right now. They have changed the whole dynamic and a, you know, an AMG, an AMG, I remember it was the sporty version, but it was still a bit of granddad's car. No, it's not. It's a sexy piece of kit. <laughs> it is indeed. It's a sexy piece of kit. So through F1, from that business model, let's say, of, of Mercedes getting involved with Formula One, I think they've turned around the whole brand. Yeah, they've really changed their entire brand image through Formula One. So, yeah, it's, uh, for me, it's, it sounds like we're just going for the big teams, but, you know, I think Red Bull and Mercedes, yeah, they're probably the, the two best shouts there. Yeah. Ferrari... I Ferrari have been Ferrari. They've always had sexy cars that everyone's always wanted to own, you know, pretty much since they started in the world of F1. But like you say, Merck have turned it around where lots of people want to drive Mercedes cars now and they think they look good and, you know, they're youthful. And Red Bull, on the other hand, it's a drinks company that's, you know, beating all these car manufacturers. Yeah, and there's probably been a few other teams, I suppose. In the, I suppose you've got Lotus, sort of obviously when that sort of first started with uh, with Colin Chapman. Uh, did you say Jordan? Brabham. Uh, ah, well, I was coming to that because I didn't want to bring up Eddie Jordan. <laughs> I really did. didn't want to say his, his name. I've just damn well said it. But if Old EJ. A business model for someone who was passionate about the sport but was also very aware that he could make a lot of money out of the sport at the same time. Is Eddie Jordan and Jordan Grand Prix? Yeah, he did change the whole concept of what Formula One was all about. I suppose you know it was a sort of it was the the underdogs coming in, and they won Grand Prix. Got very close. I think with Heinz Howard, I think it was you know fighting for the World Championship itself. But Eddie's business model was was pretty impressive as well. So yeah, he was a savvy savvy man. Savvy wasn't man, he? yes. Peter Salber, another one. Salvo, you know, when he came in from sports cars, it was, it was the Mercedes sort of works team. Then he came into Formula One and it sort of had its Salva time. It had his Salva BMW and now it's Alfa Romeo and now it's going to be changing into uh, into Audi. And of course, he was he was in Barcelona at the weekend. So he's still involved outside the team, but he's still involved, you know, very much with the, the name of Salva that is still affiliated with, with the Hinville team that we've got so, so there's quite different dynamics but i think from a pure business model mercedes probably the one that has actually made a big difference to their car sales yeah i agree i agree some good questions there johnny you know yes. all, all different topics covered there really enjoyed all those questions so thanks to everyone that sent in questions for our team radio episode so far and we'll be bringing you more team radio episodes in the next few weeks as usual so get any questions you've got get them into the podcast at lift the lid on our social channels 
and uh, we'll be sure to include as many as we can into these uh, these episodes. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to more questions because that's fun. I think when we do this, Billy, I the Masters Mail, it's it's one of the sort of the highlights of doing this uh, lift the lip pod stuff. Really good. Yeah, really enjoy you know connecting with you guys, hearing your stories, and what you're interested about in the world of Formula One. But thanks again for all the questions. Hope you enjoyed that episode. It's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. See you in the next one. This has been a Soapbox London and SBX Studios production. Our executive producers were Rowan Wilkinson and Andy Bell. Andy Bell.